Well, it's hard to believe we're at the end of Philippians already, but if you would please turn with me there to Philippians chapter 4. This is the word of the Lord. Let me read for us Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be pleased to meet with us through your word this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy and pleasing in your sight. Amen. Well, we're at the end of our study in Philippians. Uh, This letter was a letter that was full of joy, full of reasons for rejoicing. Even when Paul's in prison, even when he's suffering there, even when the Philippians are facing struggles of of their own, even Epaphroditus being sent to them and risking his own life and well-being and Timothy as well, all of these things, in the midst of all of them, are reasons for joy and rejoicing. And it's because they have Christ. And it's because Christ's name is being proclaimed. And it's because His church is growing. And so that's what we see at the end of this letter. Paul thanks the Philippians for their partnership in Paul's gospel ministry. And it's not even Paul's ministry per se, but he thanks them for their partnership with the gospel itself. Through their partnership, the gospel is expanding. Lives are being changed. People are leaving behind their their old ways of life. They're finding forgiveness. They're finding peace. They're finding joy. They're they're finally able to, to glorify their creator God and enjoy Him forever, which was the the reason and the purpose of their being created. And so that's the final note that Paul leaves us with as we close Philippians, that he leaves the Philippians with. As he finishes his letter, he leaves them with this note of reassurance of what the Philippians are doing to keep on doing what you're doing. And also a note of optimism in the future. But so why does Paul choose to end the letter here with with this content, with this, this subject? You know, last week, He used their gift sent through Epaphroditus. He used that gift as an opportunity to uh, teach them a lesson about contentment. And we we looked at that. In our passage, he's talking about the same gift, the same generosity, the same giving. And now he's using it as an opportunity for a lesson on how God's economy works. You know, we're told that no church entered into partnership with Paul in giving and receiving except the Philippians. Right away, he's commending them of their generosity. 
This giving was, was financial giving. It was supporting Paul in his ministry and in his mission to bring the Gospel to the Gentiles. So even in Thessalonica, Paul says, they were providing for his needs. In Acts 16 and 17, we, we have the story and the historical account of Paul's ministry, missionary activity in Macedonia. And Philippi was the first major stop, the first major city he stops at. And he plants this church here. And then we see that Thessalonica is the next major stop along the route. And so as Paul left Philippi, this church was, was quick. They wasted no time in supporting Paul and supporting his needs. They provided for his needs right away. Yet we know that for a time they, they were not able to support him. They had no opportunity, Paul says, and we looked at that last week in chapter 4, verse 10. They, were not, they did not have the opportunity, but they had the opportunity again. They revived their concern for him. And so now Paul is able to say, from the first day, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of his gospel ministry, from the first day until now, they were supporting him. And this was despite their situation, despite their poverty that existed in this, in this city and amongst these people. Paul refers to them in 2 Corinthians, and he, he uses the Philippians as, a, as an example of what it means to, to be all in, in in God's economy, in the way that God views ourselves and, and our, our resources. The, the Corinthian church had missed this point. So often we're, we're able to miss this point as well. But Paul embodies this countercultural uh, uh, economy of God. The Philippians were, were all in on that as well. See, in God's economy, and the way this works, is that you receive by giving. You receive more, the more you're willing to, to let go. This is God's economy of receiving by giving. And so this morning, we're going to consider this, this two-way partnership. Both the giving that we, that we give and, and what we receive. So we're going to consider those two things this morning. And so the first is, is the giving. What is giving? What are we giving to? What, what are we giving of? What does that look like? What's the matter or the content of the gift? Those are the questions we want to answer. The first thing we see is that we give to the Gospel. Paul says that in the beginning of the Gospel, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. What does Paul mean by the beginning of the Gospel? We've talked about how the Gospel is, is good news. The Gospel is a proclamation. So it really doesn't have a beginning in that sense. If it, if it had any kind of beginning, it would be at the beginning of history. It would be in Genesis 3.15 where God first proclaims the good news of the Gospel to Adam and Eve. That her offspring would be the one who, who was the offspring of Abraham that we read about earlier, who was Jesus Christ Himself who would redeem and restore His people. So that, that's the beginning of the Gospel, as it were. So clearly then, Paul's talking about his Gospel ministry. He's talking about the ministry that he's a part of, about when he first came to Philippi. The beginning of the Gospel ministry he did there. But he refers to it as the beginning of the Gospel, plain and simple. And so yes, they entered into partnership with Paul, but in a very real sense, this partnership was first and foremost a partnership with the Gospel message itself. So it's not Paul's ministry 
as such, though it is that. It, it, but it's, it's the gospel that matters. The, the ministry we have here is not the ministry of Christ the King. It's not the ministry of Levi Baker. It's, it's the ministry of the Gospel. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, I count everything else as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's what Paul's referring to here. So their partnership in giving to Paul then, it was ultimately a partnership and giving to the advancement of the Gospel. It's this Gospel message that changes lives. This is the good news of Jesus Christ who bore your sins in His body on the tree like we prayed earlier. This is the good news of the Gospel. And this this message, this good news, is that we're not our own. That we were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But God is the one who stepped into time and reconciled us back to Himself, paying the ransom price on our behalf with His precious blood. We are not our own, but we have been bought with a price. And so, when we understand what the Gospel is, when we understand what the Gospel message teaches, what it declares, that's what it means to give. And that's what we're giving to. So we give to the Gospel. We also see that we give of ourselves. You see how this is all related. We're not our own, but we've been bought with a price. Therefore, we give of ourselves. We give of ourselves holistically, and that includes our money and our finances. The Philippians entered into partnership with Paul. He, he talks about the gifts that they sent through Epaphroditus, the other gifts and, and giving that he received from them. And certainly this would have included more than, than just money. It, would, it could have included clothing and food and all sorts of things, but it certainly did not include less than that. And this can be a very uncomfortable truth for us in the church. Something that we, we don't like to talk about. And, and even myself, I would rather not talk about this, but I'm, I'm bound by the Word of God. And that's the blessing and, the, and the, the difficulty of expositional preaching. Is that you pick up right at the next verse and you have to preach whatever it says. But Jesus insists that He's Lord and Master over our entire lives over everything. As one pastor put it, Jesus insists that He is master of your MasterCard. He's over all of it. And Jesus warns us of the love of money that can destroy us. And it can. And it does. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Where is your heart? Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. That's what you truly treasure in life. Paul writes to Timothy that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Timothy was with Paul on these ministry journeys and helped him in in Philippi. And we looked at his example earlier in this series. And so Paul reminds Timothy at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It will lead us astray from the Gospel. It will lead you astray, Timothy. Rather, he says, be content. Be content because you brought nothing into the world and you can take nothing with you when you leave. And so when we give of ourselves in, 
in whatever capacity, uh, giving of our time or, or of our money or of our resources or knowledge, wh- whatever that is, as we, as we give of those things, we must remember that we didn't bring any of those things with us. And we can't bring any of those things uh, with us when we leave. So when we give of ourselves, uh, of all those things, we must remember they belong to God first and foremost. And we see this again. He's paid our ransom. He's bought us with the precious cost of His own sinless blood. That's more costly than the sum of, of all, uh, all that we could ever own. Of all of our wealth and resources and assets. Giving of ourselves, giving to the Gospel, recognizes that what we have and who we are ultimately do not belong to us, but they belong to God. And it is a privilege that God invites us and brings us into partnership with Him where we can give back to Him what we already owe to Him already. And so in doing so, we're able to fight against the sin and the temptation of the love of money. And so we give of ourselves completely. More than, but not less than, our finances. And this is done sacrificially. It's a, a fragrant offering to the Lord. And we see it's for the purpose and uh, for the advancement of the Gospel. So this is a third thing we see about, about giving. What giving is. What it looks like. Is that we give sacrificially. We give to the Gospel of ourselves. And it's a sacrificial giving. It's a fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. There are no longer any bloody sacrifices. And Christ, He is the once for all sacrifice, the spotless Lamb, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. His blood was sacrificed for the atonement of our sins. But Scripture talks about how we still give of ourselves sacrificially. So that's how Paul describes the gift through Epaphroditus. He says that it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Hebrews chapter 13, through Him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Not of bulls and goats and lambs, but a sacrifice of praise. Lips, uh, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Not neglecting to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are acceptable and pleasing to God. The sacrifices we offer are the the sacrifice of praise, of of doing what God commands, of giving ourselves to Him and to others. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Romans chapter 12, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, Paul says, this is your spiritual worship. This is how you worship. This is how you orient your life. Your life is a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. All of life, holistically. And so when we sacrifice, when we give of ourselves, that necessarily means that we we don't get our own way. And when we give of our time, or when, when someone takes of our time that we don't feel like we have to give, we have to remember that it wasn't our time to begin with. When we, we give of our, our finances, and when we give to the church, when we give to the ministry, whatever that looks like, that means that we aren't using our money in other ways for another project, for, for whatever it might be. That is a, that's a sacrifice. That's a real, tangible sacrifice. 
but these things do not belong to us ultimately. And we can only give that which God has given to us in the first place. And that's why we must give of ourselves fully to the Gospel sacrificially. That's why we give. But that's also not the end of what Paul talks about here. Too often we can view giving to the Gospel ministry as a one-way street, a one-way transaction of, of I give and they get. And that's it. But that's not the case. It is a two-way partnership. And this is God's economy of how we receive by giving. We receive something more than the sum of our gifts. We receive something more important and of greater value than anything we could give. Paul says that he does not seek the gift... He says, I do not seek the gift, but rather the fruit that increases to your credit. You see, Paul, he was not like other wisdom teachers. The other, other uh, speakers of his day, which is very common in that time period, they would exact very high speaking fees. It's like they got fired from some government, government position and now they get to go around on the speaking circuit and getting paid exorbitant amounts of money to give their expertise on some topic. This, this is what was happening. It was very common for, to have the philosophers or the teachers to, to require and to exact a very high price. And, and the higher the price, then the, the better the content. You knew you were getting something good. But when Paul came preaching the foolishness of the cross... It's easy to see why it was so foolish compared to the wisdom of the world. And this is why it was a stumbling block for some churches in these very wealthy cities, especially the church in Corinth. And that's why Paul spoke to them and he ministered to them free of any charge. He did not take any of their money, though he had the right to it. As a gospel minister, he took none of their money, nor did he ask because he wanted to make sure that they understood he was not a peddler of God's Word. He was not a snake oil salesman. He was not a get-rich-quick pyramid scheme kind of guy. That's not what the message was about. He took no money. And he had to defend this practice because the Corinthians, they doubted his message because of that. All the best content, all the best messages, they have to be behind a paywall. It was a point of pride for them that they could afford to pay these prices. But Paul, Paul, he would not be beholden to any of them, but to Christ and to Him alone. And so rather, his reward was in preaching the Gospel free of charge. But the point, the point is this, that they should have been giving to the Gospel. They should have been giving according to their means. But they were not because it was a stumbling block to them and they needed to work that out. Paul needed to minister to them and, and get them to, to reorient their, their minds and their understandings and their checkbooks to the God's economy, not to the economy of the world. They needed to learn what it meant to be a citizen of God's heavenly kingdom. But with them, just like with the Philippians, the gift is not the goal. The money is not the main thing. 
The main thing is always the gospel and seeing the gospel transform the lives of God's people. That's the main thing. And that's why Paul tells the Philippians that he does not seek the gift. The gift is important. The gift is good. Giving to the gospel is necessary. It's a wonderful thing. It's a sacrificial thing that it's a fragrant aroma to God. It's a good thing, but Paul does not seek that thing. He says, I seek the fruit that increases in your lives to your credit. What does he mean by this? That, that giving can increase our credit with God. Does he mean that there's some way that we can purchase merit before God? That we can, we can purchase some kind of, of holiness uh, or that we can purchase growth in our lives? No. By no means does Paul say that. Rather, it is the fruit of a changed life that desires to live worthy of the Gospel, to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. A life that's shaped and formed by the Gospel that grows and bears much fruit. And these gifts then, they, they actually, in God's economy, they don't diminish the, the, the resources available to the members of the Philippian church. But rather, it's like an exchange of, of currency that is beautiful before God, that cannot be destroyed, something that's worth more than any gold. So it's not a one-way transaction. It's not money spent and flushed down the drain, but it's money invested with spiritual dividends paid out above and beyond what is comparable to the gift itself. And that is what's received by giving. And God promises, notice this, that God promises that when we give in such a way, Paul says that He will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's a tragic abuse of Scripture that verses like these are used all around the country to teach a prosperity gospel or to teach some kind of health and wealth gospel that promises material abundance to those who make the appropriate amount of donations to the ministry. It's a tragedy. And one tragic result of such false teaching is, is for those who remain in a poor condition, they will feel that the only reason they are uh, in that position is, is because of them. They're the only ones to blame. That they did not have enough faith or they are not able to give enough or, or they did not pray hard enough. But this is certainly not true. And if we view this verse merely as God's promise of financial and material abundance, then we're selling God far short of what He promises to give us. He has the riches and the glory in Christ Jesus to offer that money cannot buy. Being united to Christ, with which we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, is of greater value than anything we could ever purchase. So more money, greater wealth, it can never achieve the, the peace and the joy that comes only through Christ. So if you are rich in Christ, then you need not be rich in the world. 
you're rich in Christ, then true contentment can be found. If you're rich in Christ, then you can sacrificially uh, give with joy because you already have the pearl of great price. There's, There's nothing more that you could ever need. There's nothing else of any value compared to the riches and glory in Christ. And so that is what God holds out for us to receive. All the riches, all the blessings, all the joy that comes when Christ is glorified and made much of in our lives. That is why it's so important that we take seriously this matter of giving. That's why Paul ends his letter with this this topic. When we give to the Gospel, we receive that which is greater than anything else we could ever give away. And what is money? What, What is finances? What are these things compared to the riches of the glory of Christ Jesus? We've talked a lot in this series about what it means to live worthy of the Gospel. We've talked about how that's the main proposition. That's what Paul wants us to walk away with. And that's part of this as well. That's why Paul wants to reassure them of of where they are. He wants to make sure that they understand that this is important, that they need to keep living in light of the gospel. They need to keep living worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling of as citizens of God's heavenly kingdom. And that's the challenge for us. Are we being honest with God and with ourselves? Is the advancement of the gospel, is giving to the gospel, is that a consideration and a category category in our budgets? Are we storing up treasures where moth and rust cannot destroy? Has Christ become our all in all? And do we desire to see His name magnified and glorified above every name in every corner of the country? Not least of which right here in Joplin, Missouri. You see, Paul, he reassures them. He reminds them of this heavenly mindset. He reassures them of where they are. And he also gives them a reason for continued optimism in the future. He shows them some fruit, some immediate fruit of their gospel ministry and their impact. Notice the the end of the letter. Look back there with me at verse 21. It says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Do you catch that? This is what their partnership in the gospel has been able to accomplish. That the gospel has now reached even Caesar's own household. The enemies of the gospel, the very Caesar who puts himself up as a lord to rival the Lord of Lords, He was powerless against the advance of the gospel. Through Paul's imprisonment, the gospel was brought behind enemy lines, as it were, and now it's even made it and advanced to his very own house. This is the eternal impact of giving to the gospel. We give of ourselves fully, sacrificially, to the gospel that Christ alone might be exalted above all, and that many more would come to know what we have come to know through the preaching, through the message, through the ministry of the Gospel. 
what is the breadth and length and height and depth and the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that all the world and all peoples might be full and filled with all the fullness of God. May God give us the faith to believe that and to believe in Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess uh, with our lips and in our hearts that You are the Master and Lord over our lives, over, over every part of our lives. And we pray that in all our